You are listening to the Quite Useless Podcast. Welcome to the Quite Useless Podcast. My name's Jordan Shaw. I'm Poppy Laroni. This week we'll be talking about the latest box office smash, Wonder Woman. Marika Hackman's new release, I'm Not Your Man. HBO and Sky Atlantic's comedy drama miniseries, Big Little Lies. And the essays and poems of Marina Keegan. But before we get to that, um, it's been a little while since we've we've done a podcast. We should probably catch up a little. It has been. Uh, we've both been quite busy. What have you been up to? I was in an all-female production of Macbeth, which you came to see. That it was good. Thanks. <laughs> um, uh, we should plug it. Thanks for that theatre, directed by Morna McGough. 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 You know, you know Morna's name. I do know Morna's name. What it's if Morna she McGough. To this? It's not. It's McGough. I'm 99% sure it's McGee. Sorry, Marna. <laughs> um, yeah, that was good. That was good fun. Uh, I helped produce, and I was one of the witches in that. Put it on at Deaf Connections, which was quite nice. New theatre for most of us. Um, and then I was in a Lock Up Your Daughters, plug that as well, directed by Helen Wright, um, a queer feminist filmmaking thing um collective uh, i was in a short film of theirs called joey uh, which is going to premiere at the scottish queer international film festival this year squiff uh, or skiff i'm not quite sure which one um and then i've just finished a play down in air which i helped write a wee bit of and direct a wee bit of with victoria bianchi for part of her phd um that was called souvenir yeah. In case you're wondering, in case you're sitting there, kept up at night, going, "What was the name of that? I wonder what it was called." So many people can see it. It was sold out actually. So I'll yeah, you take that ten back. tickets for every. It show. was site specific on the beach. It's got to be a small number so everybody can hear you. I'm glad you sold out. So am I. <laughs> it went really well. I was very happy. I don't about. mean to be dismissive of it. I'm sure it was really good. I'm sorry I didn't get to see it. I know. I I think it was a bit of a shame that not many Glasgow folk came to see it but it was because it was supposed to be for the people of South Ayrshire mm. but if we do it again which I'm hoping we do um, it would be nice to have more people come and see it because I think it was something I've genuinely really enjoyed doing Would you have to do it on a beach? Yes You would? Okay. Yeah Because we did think about that we were like what if it's absolutely torrential thunderstorms because it was it was supposed to be thunder one day Um perhaps not that safe to do it on the beach but it literally depended on the fact that we were on sand you couldn't okay. do it in a theatre did you we, not bring sand into the theatre? I mean you, you could but it was like we swam into the ocean at the end of it so it's kind of like it wouldn't work the same no. but we did I mean, talk a lot about sand into a swimming pool but <laughs> it would just look we'll do it in the governor baths yeah. Um, yeah no it's not not the same aesthetic um but we did talk about what it would be like in a theatre and like, because we would have all this technology that we could use, mm. whereas it was just, we had a speaker and a guitar and an iPod and ourselves. And it was good. And a beach, which is... Beach. 
We had some in itself, so novel. I've never we had seen some a Beach novel. cheese pieces and some jam pieces and some fizzy juice and deck chairs. Did the audience get it? Oh, it was, <laughs> yeah, it was everyone. We all sat down and had a piece of jam. I love a show where you get food. I know, it's Any, ideal. In anyone fact. I see at the Fringe, that's an immediate four stars. So if you're listening <laughs> to this, you've got a Fringe show this year. Jordan will be there and he expects to be fed. <laughs> brownies at a show that was very good one they made uh, last year it was a horrid show and I gave it two stars I'm sorry to say but they made soup as part of the show I've had soup in a show it was Cantonese I think it was Cantonese soup Um, I also got I saw I think it was I Heart Alice Heart I did you go and see that? no I thought it was you that took me to go and see it as part of your degree maybe it was someone else Um, but it was a show about this older lesbian couple and they handed out cake I think it was that show it was at the Arches back when the Arches was still a thing. Ooh, the Arches. I still pass it now and then and look, the flowers are still there. Yeah, the flowers are there. But that their being dead seems somehow more appropriate. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway. Um, so we're going to move on to Quick Week now. No, we're not. We've yeah, not talked about you. Ask me what I've Jordan, what have you been up You're to? You're so since? selfish. <laughs> I know. Um, Self-centred. Jordan, what have you been up to since the last time we did a podcast? I have finished my degree. Yay! Rapturous applause from our audience. I'm not looking for applause, uh, you know, because I've done something, you know, remarkable. I don't need to be patted on the back. I'm just delighted to be finished and to be free. You weren't getting a pat on the back. You were getting a congratulations, you're done. Yeah. No, and I'm treading out into the, like you, walking into the ocean. That's me just now in my life, walking out into the ocean of, of, of life and the unknown. And we'll be coming back to that at the end of the episode when we talk about Marina Keegan's work because she addresses a lot of those kind of ideas of, of finding your, yourself in the, the post-education world yeah. and, in, and in the world in general. Anyway, let's move on to our, our first segment that you've hideously titled. Quick Weeks. I love it. Quick, quick Week, though. You said weeks. I kind of like Quick Weeks, you've, though. You've changed it. Well, that couldn't get any worse. Things can change and develop, Jordan. If you have any strong opinions about Quick Week, and I suggest that you do, you don't. Please get in touch. Strong. The only strong opinions you'll have is that that's a great segment title. I have named two of the three segments that we've got. What do you call the second one? The main body. Yeah, that's not an, that's not an official that is segment title. The I've now they're not supposed to official. know about that. That's just for our notes. Okay, so for Quick Week, Quick Weeks. Quick weeks is nicer. I don't care, I want nothing to do with it. So, quick week. What have you seen recently, this week, um, that you liked? Uh, well, it wasn't actually this week, so I'm breaking the rules of, of your your segment, but I'm happy to do that. I saw, last week, the new exhibition that's just, or relatively new exhibition that's just opened at the Kevin Grove Art Gallery, um, The Art of Comics, I think it's called, and it's showcasing the work of Frank Quitely the Glasgow uh, comic book artist who's done a whole load of things across the world done you know Superman uh, is it exclusively his work? it's his work I mean it's centred around him it's his work and then also some sort of I think influences and people related to him but it is it's a Frank Quitely exhibition Um, and I you know comic books are not really my thing I've never really read any Um, and it was only in a conversation with one of my friends who's doing a PhD at the moment in comic books I asked him, you know, I've never read a comic, what, what do you think I should recommend? And he mentioned Frank Quitely's name, um, and then I saw he had the exhibition, and I went. Uh, and it was really good, and it really it made me think about this, the kind of potential of of comic books as an art form that 
is maybe not in other kind of other kind of art forms. So there was one one thing that I saw. It was done a couple of times, but there's one page where it's like it was a whole page and it was made up of rows of panels, um, and the panels, the image of the panels together made up a whole a whole space. It was like a like a town square or something. So there was a bit of the town square in one panel, and then there was. Uh, like a, the rest of a statue and another but in each panel the panels progressed chronologically so there was something the first panel was a, in a different slightly different time from the second one and the third one was a slightly different one from the the second one so events progressed even though you could see the whole space it's kind of hard to explain but it, I mean the effect of it was really good and there were so many sort of interesting and novel ways of representing a story that I hadn't that I hadn't really known existed um, because of my experience with comic books. So I'm, I'm going to look into some more. I was in the library recently. I got a library card and I went to the comic book section to see if they had anything interesting. I made a comic book once. Did you? Yeah. An art class in Tramway that ran for a while. And we kind of did this play for a while and then it ended up being a comic book or something or other. I was like more focused on music at that time I played a lot of guitar in those classes but yeah we did a comic book cannot remember what it was about what my superhero was called any of that but it was good fun what about you what have you been doing in this this quick week I it has been a quick week I felt the last week has been busy I went to see the staves on Tuesday at the art school which was the third time I've seen them live. First time they supported Florence and Machine. Second time was at the old fruit market. I didn't love that gig too much. And then this one was just amazing. It was really, really good. Um, yeah, they played a bunch of stuff from the DP for the first half hour and then moved on to some older stuff. And they left and they came back and they played in the long run their cover of Bruce Springsteen's I'm on Fire and then Mexico and it was all really lovely and we all sang it together and it was beautiful and then we left and then it was my birthday week as well so I've spent most of the week just catching up with folk and doing that kind of stuff Good. that's all right after the you know week of from exams yeah but that's what June is for so isn't it is it <laughs> yeah I'm not going on summer holiday this year so it's you know could have some a social holiday mm-hmm. in a way I've locked out. I'm going on two summer holidays this year. No, not interested. <laughs> right, let's get started. With the main body. I used to want to save the world. This beautiful place. But the closer you get, the more you see the great darkness within. It is our sacred duty to defend the world. And it's what I'm going to do. Diana! Wonder Woman is the film that we're going to be talking about first. Uh, I'm sure you'll have heard lots about it. It's been getting a whole lot of press and a whole lot of anticipation. People are very mm-hmm. excited about this coming out. Yep. We went to see it last night. Yes. 
What did you think? Because we haven't, we haven't talked about it yet, no. so I'm interested we to We like to save you. things for yeah. the podcast. I am not a huge superhero movie fan anymore. I was as a kid. I also liked a lot of fancy films as a kid. I say a lot. Lord of the Rings was about the gist of it. Um, but it's been a while since I've been to see a superhero film. And as it goes... I really enjoyed it. The film starts off on this island that Jordan and I can't pronounce. The Masaira. The Masaira. I can pronounce it because okay. I looked it up before. The Masaira. It's this um, secret island where all these gladiators? No. Amazons. Amazons. They look like gladiators, though. Yeah. So all these Amazonian women live and. Not like from the Amazon. No. The they're like. Forest. They're Amazons. More capital A. Uh-huh. And they were created by Zeus in order to, to fight off Ares, the god of war. Who had poisoned the minds of mankind. Yeah. And that's why humans are, are so warlike, according to the, the mythology of, of the the first, or the, uh, one of the early scenes where they detailed all this backstory. Yeah, so that's kind of the premise of the film. Wonder Woman goes to fight off Ares, who's poisoned the minds of mankind, and it started World War Two. I did think it was a little odd about how like you know, the, the the Amazons are tasked with defending the world against war. That was their mm-hmm. main task to stop all wars. Yeah, they had no idea that the first world war was going on until it turned up on their doorstep. Until someone was it the first world war? Or was it the second world it was war? The first world war. Oh, okay, that's because I thought it was the second world war, and then I was like, well, they've missed a whole other world war. <laughs> they've yeah. went on. Um, well, still, you know, there were other ones. Yeah. Not to, but yeah, they didn't know that the First World War was going on until a plane literally crashed into yeah. the world. But, so anyway, they all all these um, Amazon women live on this magical island where men don't exist. And it just was like a fantasy. It was brilliant. I was like, why would you leave? It was perfect. They're just training each other. They were training how to fight. Yeah, it's not they clear what else they did. They just fought no. all the time. Yeah, but I mean, it was just so self-sufficient. Like, and there was this one child running about the place, and it was just, I would never leave. And then, obviously, the whole film, not the film went downhill, but like everything happened to her got progressively worse Yeah. after she left this wonderful female-run island. I just would never leave. It's magical. It was quite idyllic. But there was something about that that whole first, I mean, maybe the first 25 minutes or so were spent in this this Amazon paradise. And it just felt, I don't know if it's because I'm not used to watching feral, superhero films, but it just felt really silly, dressed up in these silly costumes and taking everything very seriously. I find that throughout the whole yeah, film, me too, it's and it so silly. And then sometimes, and I don't know whether this was just this script or whether I suspect it is most superhero films, I just don't love the writing of it. There's. It's all very earnest. It's, yeah, it's very like predictable. Mm. I think a lot of that had to do with the music, the score, which was just constant. And it was that and the dialogue and the acting kind of came together and it was like the film was trying to make everything seem dramatic mm. to the effect that nothing felt dramatic at all because yeah. it was all on that one really earnest level. Yeah. So, as we said, Chris Pine's character comes into it and I quite liked him in this for parts of it and then there were other parts I didn't like so much but he kind of brought 
Diana, Wonder Woman, out into the world and she felt it was her duty to save the world from Ares and yeah they kind of go on this magical adventure um, and they start in London. Not particularly magical. They go on this adventure. It's quite brutal. I mean it's magical in the sense that she's left this island of paradise and then she's like out in the real world and she's experiencing everything for the first time. So that brings some quite comedic moments. Yeah, I was about to say that it was in really London. funny. There's a bit where because uh, she's dressed in her cape and her like bodice of mm-hmm. armor, and then they go to a shop in order to get her some normal clothes. So she comes out dressed in her civvies, and then she she insists on keeping her sword and shields and carrying them around, which is just really funny yeah. visual. And then she struggles to get through a revolving door. So there's that um, sort of very funny sort of fish out of water fifteen minutes. But then that is also like very predictable. Like, it was nothing that I was like, oh my god, I've never seen that done before. It was yeah. like, oh, and she's going to struggle with the report. And there it is. Yeah. Like, I quite liked it as relief, though, because the rest of it, I mean, it was really funny. Well, reasonably funny. But certainly compared to the rest of the film, which is really, really serious. Yeah. I thought they had quite a surprising casting choice in David Lewis's character. I'm not Thewless. saying this. We've just discussed it. I'm not saying this right. What? Thewless. Thewless. Yeah. David Thewless's character. Well done. Thank you. Yeah, I thought he was brilliant in this film. And I was totally not expecting him to do what he did. I don't want to spoil it for you, but he gets progressively... His part gets progressively bigger. And he starts off as quite a small, kind of unassuming character and then ends up to be this quite significant plot point. I think it was slightly different from the usual superhero plot format. Well, it was different in a way that I think wasn't particularly good and probably was one of my main issues with the film was that Diana was really omnipotent. She I mean, she seemed to have ultimate power. Mm-hmm. Which was really brought home by the film in the scene where she climbs out of one of the trenches and walks through no man's land mm-hmm. right uh, into the German army who are firing bullets at her and she just blocks all the bullets, destroys the German army and saves a whole village. And the only point in the film at the end in the battle with the big barrio was not spoiling it too much to say that there is a battle with the antagonist at the end the only thing that stops her from saving the world and in that sequence is her doubt of it whether or not it's a worthwhile thing to do at no point is she really out of control I completely disagree with really? You. why is that? because so the no man's land scene mm-hmm. it, I don't think it's that she's got ultimate powers it's that she's got a shield that deflects bullets so like that's great but throughout that scene I think she like it's not that she's like she just does it all she's absolutely fine like I think you can see that like she's really fighting against this like stream of bullets and then the big missiles that they throw at her it's not a missile but I don't know what it's called Um, and then in the scene at the end so she's fighting Ares Ares and I don't think it's about her doubt of whether she's good enough I think it's no, I don't think it was about her doubt of whether she's good enough. I think it's her, it was her doubt about whether or not the world was worth saving. I don't think it was about that at all. I think it was just difficult. <laughs> I think just fighting the biggest bad guy there was was, like, a hard task. Well, all the way along, she thinks that humans are good. Mm-hmm. And then she gets betrayed a little bit by Chris Pine's character. Mm-hmm. And then she has this conversation with Ares in which Ares says... I don't make people do evil things. People choose to do evil things. And I just kind of facilitate that. In a mm-hmm. way. 
And then it's at that point, after she's had these these realisations that humans are not all good, Uh that she starts to get hurt. And then there's a moment, the kind of climax of the film, where she realises again, the kind of, the, the... the moral of the film is that sort of love can kind of save the which world. I didn't like which is a bit cliched yeah but when she makes when she has that realisation her powers suddenly come back and then she destroys Ares with ease it was only when she was she started to doubt her own faith in humans and their goodness that she got hurt okay see this is the difference in it and for me is that I thought she was just struggling the whole time because even when you see her at the top the start when she's training with the amazons she's kind of she kind of gives up before she's supposed to if you know what i mean in a fight mm-hmm. and that's kind of what i was feeling was happening at the end in the big battle was that she was trying but not trying hard enough and then love gave her the power to try even harder it wasn't for me that she doubted whether the humans were worth saving i think she always knew that they were but i think the reason changed over the course of that two minute segment where <laughs> she remembered stuff <laughs> if you were given the film a rating of five stars let's say see this is really difficult because it's not a genre I enjoy but like given how feminist it was I would give it like four this is what most people have given it it's getting pretty good reviews although I, I kind of get the impression that they're comparing it to other superhero films and thinking it's slightly better than other superhero films so everyone's kind of given it a four few people have given it kind of negative reviews but largely I think it's 93% on Rotten Tomatoes largely it's getting four star reviews but no one's giving it five stars I think the reason though I think it's getting four star like I would never give it four stars if I was comparing it to something like Girl on the Train for instance like I'd never like that to me is a four star film but it's a completely different genre. Mm-hmm. I don't like superhero films that much, but I think of a superhero film with a leading female character that was portrayed really well, I yeah, I would give it four stars, but specifically in that genre. What did you think of the film overall? I mean, I think I would give it three stars. I think my response to it might have been more due to my expectations about it because I haven't seen that many superhero films. But I'd heard all this kind of buzz that I was getting. So I was expecting something really quite extraordinary. I don't think it was extraordinary. But it was... Okay. I think that's a fair thing to say. I think the buzz hyped it up to... More than it was. But it was a solid superhero film. So, moving on, yeah, let's talk about Marika Hackman's I'm Not Your Man, which was released on the 2nd of June, I think, this year. Yeah, this is a new record by, it's the second album by Marika Hackman, which is a young English singer-songwriter. In uh, her, her first album, uh, that was one of my favourite albums, 2015, it had this really kind of folky, indie rocky kind of sound all the way through it and I think although it got really good reviews that was one thing that, that came out of them as a possibly a negative point that it it didn't do anything too experimental it was kind of in that indie rock kind of vein but I think this one's a little different from that how do you find it different? it's pretty eclectic um, I think she, she goes through a whole load of different kinds of sounds it's very grungy 
uh, overall. I think so many so many of the tracks sound almost like they were Nirvana songs. Um, like Round We Go is one of the songs. Gina's World. They have this kind of pulsating bass that really sounds like Nirvana and like distort, distorted guitar sounds. And our vocals as well are a lot of the time really brooding. Um, kind of really foregrounded in the mix. Mm-hmm. But then there are whole other songs that are completely different. There's one called Apple Tree, which has this kind of Celtic folk kind of sound that's completely different to a lot of the rest of the album. And then there are really kind of more upbeat, kind of indie folk pop kind of ones, like Time's Been Reckless, My Lover Cindy. And then another kind of standard indie folk ballady one, like uh, called Cigarette, which was one of my favourite songs in the album. Parking lot, I'm in the car's locked. I didn't want to let you in. When did it get so forced? Drunk by the second course, you're never gonna let me win. See, I wasn't a huge fan of Cigarette. Really? I, I thought you would like it because it's kind of similar to a lot of the music you enjoy. I wasn't a huge fan of the album. See, I think people recommend stuff like this to me because they think I really enjoy it, and I kind of don't. What was it then that you didn't like? I just none of. Drop my pen. Sorry. Nothing really stood out to me about the album. It wasn't. It's not something I disliked, but it's not something I would really go back and listen to again. It was just a bit. It didn't like draw me in and interest me too much. I thought you would be quite into the lyrics. Yeah, I think, well, I was listening to Boyfriend on the way over in the car and I thought, ah, oh, okay, this is definitely why Jordan sent me this. Cause no, it's a- no, that's not why, because <laughs> I liked it. Okay, well, um, Boyfriend is kind of about the fact that she's slept with someone's girlfriend. And now she's thinking A boy's about- girlfriend. Uh-huh. And now she's thinking about how he feels about this situation, but it's fine because she's a woman and same-sex relationships don't count so um yeah i don't know i just i don't find that a particularly interesting topic i think i think she was talking about it in stereotypes and saying that it's common for some men to think that that doesn't count as cheating but i don't think that's a new thing to say i don't really think that's controversial anymore other than the fact that it completely diminishes bisexual or same-sex relationships as being real. I just didn't, I wasn't interested in any of it. Like, I listened to it, it was fine. I just wasn't, I, I, I wouldn't say I'm a fan. See, I really enjoyed it and I thought the lyrics, particularly in Boyfriend is a good example of it, were really strong and really funny and sarcastic and well-written. And the music as well, I thought her melodies uh, really strong kind of catchy um, especially in Boyfriends uh, and ones like Time's Been Reckless that one had the kind of like schoolyard kind of chants that were used in like, the goal team and bands like that mm. and I thought it were really catchy and uh, I think it, the album had a whole load of things to recommend it musically and lyrically uh, and the production as well I thought was really good because in a lot of the songs um, particularly the heavy grungy ones there's a lot going on in terms of instrumentation but everything's really clear and works really well together and it all feels needed. Mm-hmm. Well, she plays more than one instrument, doesn't she? So that's probably quite a focus on her 
in in the room. I imagine she's mm. kind of got a lot of ideas for what to add in. Yeah, and she wrote all the the, the lyrics herself as well. So yeah, and I liked some of the lyrics. Some of the lyrics stood out to me, but I still wasn't blown away by what I was hearing. Fair enough. Yeah, I'm quite surprised that you didn't like it though. Because it was see my big thing is that I'm massive in harmonies. Yes, you are. And from what I listen to, I think it's mostly just her that's singing. Yeah. I think um, she has a very good voice, though. I like the sound of her voice, but it was just... It wasn't enough to, like, draw me in. Mm-hmm. I found I had to really focus to listen to the lyrics. And some of them were really nice. Like, there was a couple of great one-liners in it that I really enjoyed. There was one in Cigarette that was about... Well, I'll kiss your lips and light a cigarette or something. Let me get it up. Yeah, I, I remember the one that you were talking about. Mm-hmm. I think that was really good. I tried to hold my tongue, she you yanked it from my grip Bathed it in petroleum Lit a cigarette and gave it a kiss Yeah, and that's a great, great lyric, but I just, I don't know. Like, it was good, and I find some of the lyrics interesting, but it's not... I quite like music when you listen to it, you can hear the lyrics instantly. You didn't get that? No. And I know, having said that, I contradict myself because I listen to Bon Iver a lot <laughs> and you can't hear any lyrics on yeah. that. But I think, I don't know, I was expecting her to be a bit more Laura Marling esque. I think she, she does was. have that ability, you know, and vocally as well. I thought she was very strong in the same way that Laura Marling is. You know, there was. That apple tree one, that kind of Celtic folk one, is similar to something a lot of Marley might do. And there's a bit in My Lover Cindy when the grungy music just drops out and it's mm-hmm. just her singing on her own. And she has this really lovely voice, sort of maybe nicer than it, it needs to be for that kind of music. You know, because she, she could, I mean, Kurt Cobain didn't necessarily have this beautiful voice, but because it was he's doing this kind of grungy distortion aesthetic, then it, it didn't need to be. Mm-hmm. But hers. She does have a really strong voice and that works really well with the music that she's doing. I'd be interested to give her first album a bit of a go. Because I think, again, because when you're saying, you know, it's got kind of like grungy tones in it, it's not really my kind of style of music either. So I'd, yeah, potentially give the first one a bit of a listen and see what I feel about that. Okay, well, I think we should move on to our, our third topic for today which is Big Little Lies programmed by Jean-Marc directed by Jean-Marc Vallée on uh, HBO and Sky Atlantic in the UK yeah so it was based on a a book and then so the book was written by a woman and the screenplay was written by David E. Kelly which I found really good because I felt like the women were all written really really strongly and they had really strong base characters already and then you had this guy write a beautiful script, like screenplay for it. I thought it was kind of the perfect mix writing-wise for me. I thought the writing was beautiful and I think that possibly came from the fact that the original source was written by a woman about women and then it was written by a man for the, the script. Just to give a kind of summary of, of what the show yeah, is. Yeah, sorry, I dived in there. I've, um, I've only seen, Poppy has seen it all. I've only seen the first three episodes. But essentially it, it opens 
in a, on a crime scene. There's been a crime at a party, someone's been killed, and the police are there. And then we see a series of interviews with the people who were at the party, talking about their relationships with the people there, because the police are trying to determine who's done it. And then we go back in time to see the events leading up to the murder. The film doesn't tell us the the TV show. Interesting, I say film because it does feel like a film mm-hmm. in many ways. But the TV show doesn't tell us who did it um, or who even was killed. But we are introduced to these characters. The three main characters um, are three women. Played by um, Reese Witherspoon, Nicole Kidman and Shailene Woodley. Who, if you don't know who Shailene Woodley is, I imagine you already know who the other two are. But she was in the Faulkner Stars and the Divergent series and is quite a political activist. She spent a lot of time at the Standing Rock protest. So these three play uh, a group of mothers and we see their relationships with other mothers at the school. Yeah, I try and describe this to people and I'm like, it's a show about mums and their children. Which is a very odd thing to say, but it's so much more than that. It's about mums in, uh, was it Monterey? Yeah, Monterey. Monterey. Isn't that not just their accent? Maybe. Monterey is a place in California. It's it's Monterey, pub. Um... So they're all very rich. Um, yeah, it's a super wealthy vibe. The only person that's not got that much money is Shailene Woodley's character, uh, who is kind of the basis for the story to start off, is that she and her son, Ziggy, arrive in Monterey and ends up meeting Reese Witherspoon's character, who kind of takes her under her wing. And then um, we see a whole lot of infighting between these three characters and other characters um, at the, so in the school so and the, we have to guess I guess who is kind of a Scooby-Doo who done it thing um, a little more a little more complex than that but we, we need to we're left guessing who, who did it and who was eventually murdered yeah so I mean it's although it's based on the three of them there's also Zoe Kravitz is in it and Laura Dern and they play very important characters and then there's the husbands of the characters we've got Alexander Skarsgård, Adam Scott James Tupper, Jeffrey Nordling um, and it's just this brilliant kind of all-star cast of like really well seasoned actors from both film and TV who have come together to shoot this seven, seven episode miniseries directed beautifully and then the kids in it are fantastic as well because normally when you get child actors you're like oh but well actually I think recently in the past few years the quality of child actors in big TV shows has been really really high like I mean look at Orange is the New Black always has well cast kids Netflix's Anne with an E was really good uh, Stranger Things is kind of the obvious example yeah for it is to go back to the writing that you were talking about I think uh-huh. the writing was really really good and there were some amazing lines um, that I thought were really funny and really rich semantically because you know you're left as if you're kind of guessing what's going on mm-hmm. and there can be so much packed into the lines one that I really really liked from the first episode was really funny um, Reese Witherspoon's character turns up at the school and she's going to pick up her daughter uh, and she's looking for her and then she sees her hanging around with her friends now where is the Chloe? Yeah. Chloe of course she's networking <laughs> that was really good. Yeah, so, kind of told you a lot about the character. Yeah, and Reese Witherspoon's daughter has this fantastic obsession with music. She says that she's going to be like a music producer, kind of. I think that's the she idea. She wants to own a label. Yeah, she wants to own a, own and run a label, and she's got this like wild, extensive knowledge for music and soundtracks. The entire TV show, the seven episodes, she 
pulls out her phone and it's connected to magical speakers and it's always the perfect song so you get the soundtrack for it is just so it's beautiful yeah. so I think it's in the second episode you've got the song River by someone whose name I'm forgetting right now Leon Bridges um, and it's this beautiful like soulful song and it they just put it in this brilliant point and later on you've got Harvest Moon there's also throughout the episodes there's a recurring piano piece by Agnes Oval called September Song So the music's lovely, and then they go into like um, they've got dreams, Fleetwood Mac, and then the final episode. This doesn't ruin anything. It's so you find this out at the start that the murder happened at a school fundraiser that was an Elvis and Audrey Hepburn costume party. So that final episode has a lot of Elvis songs in it, sung by various members of the cast. And it's just brilliant. It's really, really great. It just all sounds so well put together. Like the whole show, there was nothing that was out of place that I felt. No, I agree that everything worked well together. I think that's we have to credit the director there, Sean Mark Valley, yeah. for how well he, he brought everything together. And it was so sh- it was shot so beautifully. He was originally only supposed to do the first episode, but Reese Witherspoon and Nicole Kidman, who helped produce, I think he was supposed to do like one or two, and then they were going to find someone else and they managed to convince them to stay on and direct the full thing. I think that was a good choice. It was a very good choice because it's so... It's just so stable. Like, there's nothing that's, like, jutting out at you or jarring and that it doesn't quite work. It's all really beautifully done. And I love how the story unfolds is that you kind of get different tidbits of information about the characters as it develops. It's not like you're whacked with this, like, oh, okay, this is what the entire thing's going to be about. It kind of comes out that Nicole Kidman and Alexander Skarsgård have this kind of abusive relationship. And then there's this ongoing problem with the the kids and someone's bullying Laura, the child. And then there's, like, a whole thing where Reese Witherspoon's having an affair and there's just this, like, the really beautiful things that come about what seems very organically. Mm-hmm. They're not thrown in there for drama and yet the full thing is packed. I think that changed really well with the premise of the show. That really reinforces it because we're able as an audience to sit through getting these kind of little bits of information and, and analysing them in terms of the broader plot because we know that this eventually ends in a murder and we're trying to figure out who the murderer yeah. and the murdered is. It reminds me of um, Alfred Hitchcock once in an interview was asked how long is it appropriate to show a man and a woman kissing on a bed and he said as long as you like as long as there's a bomb under it and the bomb under this show is the the final murder so we can sit and watch all these little little events that you know would be trivial were it not for the fact that we know one of these characters is murdered and one of these characters is killed at the end yeah that's a really good point actually I've never heard that quote but that completely works for this show because I think the other thing is that which I don't think you see too often in shows is that you don't see them live their daily lives very often Mm -hmm. you don't see them do the trivial things like have breakfast or sit down as a family to eat dinner or as Shailene Woodley's character does in this, go for a run 
she runs throughout this and it brings this like pace to the show that everything's constantly moving but we're not necessarily like propelling towards the solution of this TV show all the time it's just it kind of slowly gathers tempo and then as you go through the episode you can kind of it picks up the pace but not in a way that you're like oh just show me already it's just like you're happily along for this ride and if they want to take you the scenic route then it's completely fine sometimes I I find I have trouble finding time to just watch TV shows but I think I'm going to stick with the next four episodes of Mm -hmm. It's Always Universe 3 but I really want to continue with it and see what happens also want to mention before we move on that I thought Reese Witherspoon and this was particularly good I mean I thought she did a wonderful job of being both funny and not necessarily a nice character but always kind of likeable because she felt so three-dimensional yeah she really managed to play the full character and it's it could have been so easy for this show to go in a very kind of like two-dimensional caricature of who these people are yeah absolutely she was so there were so many highs and lows and it was just such a full round experience and i felt that of all of them but reese weatherspoon does really stand out bang is also like cool to mention that Nicole Kidman did all her own stunts for it. Right. And they used a body double twice and there's some serious stuff that goes down. Um, it's quite graphic, the show, in terms of both sex scenes and fight scenes. There's some... It's HBO. They really show you it. HBO, they do have a reputation for doing things like that. Uh-huh. But I think it is not criticism. No, it's so The scenes with Nicole Kidman are so visceral and... Um, violent yeah as well um, and they really make you feel for those characters she actually talks about there was a a day or two she went home with bruises on her right yeah oh I'm not surprised no but it's just because she just said go for it and it, I guess like that's the dream situation almost is that you feel so comfortable with your cast and your director that you can just say let's go mm-hmm. and whatever happens happens I think it must have been a fantastic thing to shoot because even there's a... I can't really talk about this. At the very end of the entire thing, there's just this brilliant scene where a bunch of characters are on a beach. And it just looks like they had a blast film in it. Like, even... Although so many of the cast are fighting at different points, it seems like it was a really like holistic experience for all of them. I think maybe the fact that as you said, uh, Reese Witherspoon and Nicole Kidman executive produced it as well as starring on it. But mm-hmm. it does really feel like something of a passion project oh, from the people involved. Yeah. And Shailene Woodley actually in an interview was saying that when she came on board to the project, Reese and Nicole were like, oh my God, I can't believe we're working with you. This is so exciting. She was like, are you joking? <laughs> like, I'm working with the two of you. Like, And it just seemed that everybody had that like real appreciation for each other. Yeah. And... I think that extends to Zoe Kravitz and Laura Dern, who were like not quite the three main char- not in the three main characters, but they really kind of excel in this as well. I think they play characters of it was just so beautifully done. I just thought everything was perfect. Yeah, it was. It's and it's excellent. such a beautiful scenery. Like if you're not interested in it at all, at least watch it because it looks <laughs> stunning. I'm looking forward to seeing the next four. Yeah. So I think we both highly recommend that Big Little Lies. Uh, it's on Sky Atlantic in the UK, made by HBO in America. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, so now it's time for our final segment, Choice Cuts, which is where one of us recommends a piece of work. Uh, and this this week, Poppy's recommended to me the work of Marina Keegan. So, Marina Keegan, I kind of happened across this book one day by chance browsing in Watersons called The Opposite of Loneliness. And I picked up this cover and I saw a girl who looks quite like me on the cover, young, I think she's skinnier than I am, but kind of brownie red hair, and, well, right, okay, I'll turn this over, read the blurb, and it said that Marina Keegan was a Yale graduate um, in 2012, she graduated, I think, second in her class, um, and died, tragically, five days after graduation in a car crash, but she wrote this beautiful essay called The Opposite of Loneliness that was published in the Yale Daily News. It was the final one that she published in the, Do- the Yale Daily News and it has, at the time the book was published, 1.4 million hits online. I think that's significantly more now. I've certainly viewed it like 25 or more times online despite having the book. And it's just this beautiful essay that kind of talks about that feeling of leaving somewhere she talks about leaving Yale and leaving that safe kind of environment that she's been in and that everyone has been in. It's quite a collective feeling and what it's like to leave. So, I was going to say, do you want to read a bit of it? Just I would to love to read some context. Well, why don't you pack it up a bit because I know that you're doing, a, you're doing an event in the next few weeks where you're going to be reading some of this essay yes as part of it so this will be a little rehearsal for you great context. um i also used this essay at the the end of my degree uh, as a, a piece of performance because she writes in a way that i feel like i would like to write in um and it summed up essentially everything that yeah i just felt about being at university and then the thought of leaving it We don't have a word for the opposite of loneliness, but if we did, I could say that's what I want in life. What I'm grateful and thankful to have found at Yale, and what I'm scared of losing when we wake up tomorrow after commencement and leave this place. It's not quite love, and it's not quite community, it's just this feeling that there are people, an abundance of people who are in this together, who are on your team. When the cheque is paid and you stay at the table, when it's 4am and no one goes to bed, that night with the guitar, that night we can't remember, that time we did, we went, we saw, we laughed, we felt, the hats. So that's the first two paragraphs from the essay, The Opposite of Loneliness, of, in the essay collection of the same name. It says in the introduction to the collection that, which is written by one of Marina Kagan's tutors, that a lot of our students often sound like 40 year olds because they're scared to, to embrace their own youth and, and inexperience and want to emulate the, the great writers that they've read. Whereas Marina Keegan's work really sounds like the work of a 21 year old, 22 year old. Yeah. And she, it's very honest and very authentic and it feels, you feel like you're getting an impression of the real person. Yeah, and I think that's particularly true of the opposite of loneliness, the essay, because there's a bit where she goes, we're so young, we're so young, we're 22 years old, we have so much time. And it's just, you do get that real sense of like, this is the beginning. Mm. 
and there's this so actually in the the second um, second or third page of the book just after the dedication there's this quote from a poem of hers called Bygones and it's do you want to leave soon? No, I want enough time to be in love with everything and I cry because everything is so beautiful and so short. I mean, you just read that she's died and then you read words like this. It's just, oh, it hit me like a ton of bricks when I read that book. I was just so moved. I guess she kind of expresses what I think is a particularly common feeling, especially for people that age, though I don't think it goes away, of trying to understand one's place in a world and in a galaxy and in a universe that is so tiny compared to everything else in the world and trying to form some kind of identity within that and find some kind of some kind of meaning. And in the second essay, we looked, we looked at two essays um, for this podcast, and the second one, Song for the Special, I think they work well, Song for the Special and, and The Opposite of London is quite well together. And in Song for the Special, she's she's looking at the same kind of ideas. There's one sentence in it. She says, uh, We're threaded together in a network so terrifyingly colossal that we can finally see our terrifyingly tiny place in it. And the rest of the essay kind of wrestles with that idea of, you know, how, how, how do you resolve that feeling of how do you not get sucked into just a complete nihilism and feeling that everything is pointless? Well, that's yeah, and I think that comes as well. Like it, it is quite similar to the the opposite of loneliness essay because it's about that feeling of like you're graduating, you can do anything. And there's this bit in Song of the Special that says we can be anything. Our parents are divorced, but we're in love. Vaguely, quietly, we know we'll be famous for being president, for starring in a movie, for writing a feature at eighteen in the New York Times. And it is very much that kind of you know there's a real sense of like it is fantastic that now we've got the freedom to do and be anything but there's also that pressure of you can do and be anything now Mm. what are you going to do what are you going to be I don't know I'm feeling this quite hard right now (laughs) having been graduated a year it's it's just so relatable I think what she's writing of the two essays that we looked at I think the opposite of loneliness is probably the strongest, and also I read, I read the opposite of loneliness first, mm-hmm. um, because I started the book and then I read song for the special, and then I went back and read song for the special first, and then read the opposite of loneliness, and I, I felt I got more out of reading them in that order because I I almost read because that was the chronological order she wrote song for the special first and then wrote the opposite of loneliness, yeah. and I felt almost like the opposite of loneliness was some kind of answer to the quandaries that she's addressing in Song for the Special because she's talking about how in Song for the Special how does she how do you deal with your your position in the world your tiny position against uh, in this massive universe and I think she she in a way answers that in the opposite of loneliness or at least gives some kind of method for, for dealing with it because she talks about in the opposite of loneliness Yale is full of tiny circles we pull around ourselves Acapella groups, sports teams, houses, societies and clubs, these tiny groups make us feel loved and safe and part of something. So I guess what Yale offered her, what university offered her was this smaller network within the whole larger network Mm -hmm. of the universe where she felt significant. 
and that's what she was afraid of losing. But that's all really any of us want, isn't it? Absolutely. Like you move from one to small net, one small network to the next. You've got your family network, your friends, your work. And that's all we really want. I mean, it makes sense as well, evolutionarily, because we didn't grow up as individuals no. just on our own, and we didn't grow up conscious of our position as as part of millions or billions of people. We grew up in small kind of family networks and, and social groups and stuff like that. So it makes sense that we feel comfortable, most comfortable in smaller groups that size. Yeah, and I, I think, yeah, I think it's, that's what is so terrifying about being a graduate, is that you don't know what tiny network you'll end up in next. But I think, yeah, she does talk about this, the pressure that you could be doing more than you are. She says that somehow others are ahead, more accomplished, more specialised, more on a path to somehow saving the world, somehow creating or inventing or improving and that it's too late now to begin a beginning. And I just think that's a really interesting concept because that's how everyone feels or that's how everyone in my life feels anyway. It's like, oh, if only I'd picked up an instrument then I could be Mm. an actor musician or, oh, I should really go and learn dance because it'll help with this, that and the other. And you know what I mean? One always feels that it's too late for things. Yeah. Even though, of course, as she says, we are so young. Yeah. I was talking to my little sister the other day who's just about to finish primary seven and going to high school. Oof. There's a time. I was thinking she's got so much potential to do anything. Whereas, you know, I've just finished my degree in thesis studies in English and, you know, I can only do so much with that. I know that I'm never going to be an athlete. I'm never going to be a musician really uh, I suppose I could, I, mean, I could learn an instrument but I'm never going to be a professional musician or anything like that but she is 12 years old she could do anything she just needs to to pick a path and, and follow that but picking a path in economics it's called opportunity costs when you pick that path you have the cost of all the o- other all the opportunities other so you're always going to lose something and feel like it's too late to, to pick that up but then I guess that is kind of way it's like as an adult, you can only pressure your kids to do so much. You know what I mean? Is it right to as exactly? Well? Is it that's right to the thing. Is like you can only force them to do something for like so long a time. Like everyone feels like they should have stuck in with their piano lessons, but mm. it comes a point where you've got to make a choice. Part of me wants like wishes that my parents had been stricter and and forced me to. I don't know, learn to play tennis or something. But I think, I mean, really, I think if they had done that, I would have been really unhappy. And yeah, exactly, that's wanted the thing. To do it, yeah. I suppose that's what the film Whiplash was about. Seeing yeah. that was about, you know, you can, if you if you employ really strict teaching methods, create a genius musician, mm-hmm. but that genius musician will be deeply unhappy and, and stressed I'm and traumatised. definitively deeply unhappy, but I think it's that thing is like, if from a young age you show an interest in something you should stick with it for as long as you can I think Beyonce is probably the prime example for me is that she was interested in singing and being a performer and her dad went right well we're going in all all in with this and worked her as hard as ever but it's what she enjoyed doing Mm. so now she's Beyonce do you know what I mean and it's like if everyone had that kind of drive for something from such a young age. Well, that's the kind of story of, of so many of the most extraordinary individuals in history. You know, Mozart, 
had parents who essentially forced them to, to play piano from a tiny, really young age. Michael Jackson, mm. uh, the Williams sisters in tennis. So these are the kind of ideas that I guess Marina Keegan is, is wrestling with. Ideas of, of, of Would potential. not be one of those people, yeah. Yeah, I think. Not, yeah how, do you, how do you deal with, with the kind of fetishisation of, of success when you feel that in some way, by not having been one of those people, you're maybe behind... But then you could almost argue that she was one of those people and she just didn't realise it. She didn't have the... Because I think that book is some of the best writing I've read ever. There's like, one, it totally one, gets me. There's one sentence I want to pick out that I think is really rich mm-hmm. in song for the special. I've zoomed out my timeline to include the apocalypse and religionless, I worship the potential for my own tangible trace. There's a lot in there. Mm. But I like how she's, because she talks elsewhere in the essay about the the internet, and that the internet's part in this is is kind of a reflection or expression of this this network of millions of people. And she uses that to, as a kind of metaphor, for looking at our own existential position in the universe. I've zoomed out my timeline to include the apocalypse. So she's using this kind of modern um, modern lingo of zooming out and. Facebook timelines and things to talk about these existential issues of the, the, the apocalypse and the position of her life. And then she says, unreligionless, I worship the potential for my own tangible trace. I don't know, that reminded me of Nietzsche's comment that God is God is dead. And I guess she's saying that we replace God with a kind of self-worship and a worship in what we might be so she's but she I mean she's balancing those two ideas the belief in her own potential and what she might be and she also talks about herself as a trace a tan- tangible but a trace within this massive massive expanse of time and space and what I find really interesting about her work is that you can you know she's got that one sentence which is full of so many big ideas that you've just detailed and then two sentences down she says there's a really good chance I'll never do anything and that's so simple like that is just a worry that's not some big idea that we need to unpick and like figure out exactly what she meant by that it's just there's a really good chance I'll never do anything it's also so I don't know it it kind of made me feel better about my own position yeah I mean maybe not better but at least that you know you're not alone everyone feels that they're alone in, in some way you know she I mean we can look at these essays and say she's a remarkable writer and we know that if she hadn't died she would have gone on to be you know an extraordinary writer and uh, you know goodness knows what she would have done whether she would have stayed in essays and poetry or gone into something else but I think whatever she would have done she would have excelled at it and we know that and we can say it with, with confidence but she says you know, we see that she's got this worry that there's a really good chance I'll never do anything. And these are how this is how we feel about so many of the of the people we know. We know that everyone is kind of most people are riddled with this kind of self doubt. But we know of our of our friends and the people that we know that they're very talented at what they do and they're gonna find find success in it. But it's hard to it's hard to deal with people's belief in you when you have this kind of doubt in yourself. So it's kind of, I found it nice to to see that someone so clearly extraordinary had the same kind of doubts and anxieties that I have. Yeah. And I think that is exactly 
why I feel so drawn to these two essays is that it's just so real. In the book, it's half fiction, half non-fiction. And I, yeah, some of her fiction stuff is, is good, but I don't connect with it nearly as much as I connect with just her essays about what she's feeling right now mm-hmm. and the way that she describes that. Yeah, she does a really good job of, of both writing about herself. And writing as a collective. Yeah, and also in a way that doesn't feel self-indulgent. You know, she's writing about herself, but not in a way that's uninteresting to her. No, she's writing about herself in a way that we all can, can recognise and, and relate, and relate to. to. And um, and she connects it so well with, with larger themes. I think if you are in a similar position to, to me and Poppy and to Marina Keegan uh, when she was writing these essays, I would definitely, definitely recommend that you read them you can google the opposite of loneliness and you can read that for free if you google the, the uh-huh. opposite of loneliness and there's also her book of essays which is called the opposite of loneliness. which i would highly recommend buying it's not that expensive but it's just a really good read because i bought it i think it was the christmas of my final year at uni and i was in the midst of dissertation and just wanted to read literally anything else that wasn't about the west wing i had had half an hour bus journeys in and out of town every day for uni and that's what I spent my time doing. I read The Opposite of Loneliness and I read Room by Emma Donoghue. I think, you know, if you're doing a dissertation or just worried about exams and essays and things, I think this is a particularly good thing to read because it, I, it's so easy to get sucked into that and to essays and, and exams and, and dissertation and it becomes your whole world, whereas this, I think, offers some kind of perspective. On yeah, that. and I also think it's like it's a good thing to read because they're only so long. Mm-hmm. They're yeah, not, not you're sure not either. reading a full book you're reading an essay which you can pick up and put down but it's also it's so relevant to that period of time final year of uni if you're about to graduate read the opposite of loneliness and know that you're not alone <laughs> well I think that's a, a good point to end on that wraps us up for the week for the well I say the week we haven't really we haven't really stuck to the weekly format have we no not <laughs> but, at all but we'll be a bit better now I think um, because uh, you know the the delay was mostly caused by my being sucked into the world of, of dissertation and exams I was um, also busy I had jobs sure but even if you if you hadn't been busy I, I would not yeah there was no pulling Jordan out from under that pile of books no but I've, I've now escaped for pretty much for good I think um, you're not going back to education not anytime soon. <laughs> no, I felt the same way. Maybe one day, I don't know. Well, Jordan and I have gone through... We went through primary and secondary together. And then we've both been in higher education since, really. Mm-hmm. And now... Well, I was done last year, but you're done now. Oh, it goes by so quickly. Yeah, I think when you don't take a gap year, which I'm happy I didn't take a gap year, but... So one of my a couple of my friends from uni went straight on to a master so I was like absolutely yeah. not <laughs> there's really. no chance I could go straight into a master's I kind of took a well I didn't really take a gap year but I took a gap I took a forced gap year because they didn't let me into university first time round and went to college yeah but that's I mean you were in higher education further education further education yeah but I thought that I mean that was a really good year really productive and I think because the the step from, from school to university is so large that going to, to college really really helped me terms of making that, that jump and I think academically my year in college was the best I've ever done like I worked so hard and really learned how to think and write in a way that made it a lot easier at university well see my experience was a bit different because I went from high school to college because no universities did an acting degree that was practical so I did two years in college 
and then went and did my third and fourth year at university and got my honours degree. But the jump from college to uni for me was huge mm. because it was a very academic course and it all worked out. But yeah, it's, it was a fun mix. But I feel like that, like going to uni and like studying academia so hard makes me appreciate Marina Keegan's essays so much more. Yeah, well, you can relate to the hell that she was going yeah. through, you? Also, that in, in all that, that stress and, and difficulty, she's managed to produce this work because the, these essays were written while she was at university. There are yeah. a lot of them, anyway. She also acted work. in musicals, mm. wrote slam poems. Like, she seemed to be one of those people who did everything, and you wonder how she thought the way that she did about herself and her life. But I guess. That's the beauty of it. Everyone thinks they could be doing more than what they are. We've circled back around to yeah. that. Yeah, well, we should probably finish yeah. up for this episode because we could talk about Marina King for a long time, I imagine. Thank you for listening to the Coitus's podcast. Uh, if you want to get in touch, and we would love it if you did, to suggest what you would like to talk about next or what you'd like us to talk about next and give any feedback. Um, and if you've listened to or watched anything or go and listen to watch or read anything that we've talked about in this episode feel free to have a discussion with us yeah that'd be cool yeah especially I'd Wonder Woman I want to hear what other people's opinions I want to know Wonder what people think about Melina Keegan oh you're supposed to give me a choice cut for next week I haven't thought of it yet but <laughs> I'll do it um, yeah you can get us on Facebook the Quite Useless Podcast uh, on Twitter at the Quite Useless Pod um, or you can email us at hello at quiteuseless.co.uk thank you for listening We will see you in the next episode. Bye.